uh, this afternoon, I thought I would um, take some time to reflect on two questions that have come up from several of you during the course of the weeks, mostly in the last week. One, a question about the usefulness of integrating this practice with other practices, how that might work. Um, Is that a good idea? That kind of thing. And then um, questions about taking the practice home. So those two. And then um, I thought I'd see if there's time at the end uh, to take questions about those, um, those topics, if there's any questions follow from what I've said. So the first one around um, integrating this practice with other practices. Possibly the easiest way in for me to talk about this is to um, start by describing my own experience of integrating this practice with other practice, other practices, in particular concentration practice, and then expand and extrapolate from there. That's, that's probably the easiest way for me to talk about it. So um, I'll start by telling a little bit of my own story around um, this practice, how I came to it, and how, uh, how it worked for me. Um, so I started my practice pretty much with the Mahasi method, which is a pretty focused, object-based practice, a lot of striving, a lot of effort. And, you know, I, I, I learned a lot. <laughs> I got, I got, uh, I got uh, a lot of concentration and um, uh, felt like I understood quite a bit. Um, and yet the, the concentration practice in, in itself, when I tried to just stay with one object, I'd often end up getting pretty tight there. So I just stayed away from concentration practice, you know, the, the kind of jhana practice. I stayed away from that. And then, um, and then I met Sayadaw in 2005, I think. And um, the next year I went to practice with him. And uh, it revolutionized my practice. It really shook up my ideas about effort. It shook up my ideas about how the mind can settle. Um, I had believed it required effort to let the mind come into balance and settling and um, just kind of turned my perspective around entirely. Uh, Some of which I've seen happening to some of you. (laughs) So, um, um, and, and the interesting piece was, you know, I had started with so much of the focus. I had started with so much of the focused practice and so much of the efforting practice. And, you know, it had worked in many ways. I had, I had um, gotten the mind to a place where it could move into more effortless practice. And yet the whole getting there was such a, such a struggle and a lot of tightness there. And so this practice really, it was, it was starting from the, the Tejaniya style when I met Sayadaw, it was starting from much more relaxation and much more allowing and opening and settling from the per- perspective of relaxation. 
And I discovered that that actually um, was a very natural way for my mind to settle, to not focus on something, but to just receive, receive, and just let the mind do its thing. But just, it's kind of like you start with a really wide pasture and gently, 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 gently just try to contain the the wandering. <laughs> um, so, um, so having like had my mind turned around and and really also recognized it, it it felt so natural and so organic to me this style i thought i found my practice and then i came back um here and within a few months and this is the this is the the oddness of practice we kind of have to trust our rhythms of practice and trust the wisdom that's present to guide us and um within a few months my mind was telling me, it's now time for you to do concentration practice. I was kind of surprised by that, but I, I decided to follow that and see what would happen there. So I decided to, to study with Tanisaro Bhikkhu, um, and um, he does a, a whole body breathing type of, of concentration practice, which I thought might be a little more amenable to my to my mind at this point, at that point, rather than a tight focus, it's a, a kind of a broader focus of breathing, experience through the whole body. Um, and so I, I did a number of uh, several, I can't even remember now, I think maybe three or four retreats with Tan- Tanisaro Bhikkhu, um, long retreats with him, um, practicing the, uh, the, the concentration practice. And over the course of several retreats with him, I mean, I went in thinking, you know, I'm doing concentration practice and um, set this practice to the side. That was my thinking. It's like, you're doing concentration practice now. You you uh, follow what the teacher says. And I would periodically get caught in very tight minds uh, from the habit, my my old habit of gripping, holding on to um, one object experience. And um, I would try to kind of work my way out of it by being within the concentration practice. You know, it's like, okay, it's like you're, you're focusing on this object and trying to keep the mind relaxed at the same time. And so I, I, would, I would be trying to work with that. And at some point, regularly, every, once every five days, every week or something like that, I would discover that I just had to stop trying to do the concentration practice and I just let my mind relax and it would naturally go to this style of practice. It would settle down, it would relax, it would rest. I usually needed to do, it, it seemed like it was like a, a day, a maybe almost a two-day cycle. Like it would be sometime late in the evening that I would really realize I've just got to stop trying this. And it would feel a little bit like, you know, I'm giving up on the concentration. It would have that little quality to it. It's like, you know, I haven't got a choice here. I really just have to let go of doing the concentration right now, doing that one-pointed focus. And so that in the evening, I would let it go. The whole next day, I would practice open awareness. And then sometime the following morning, I would pick up the concentration practice again. And this happened a bunch of times. And what I discovered after each time after each time I discovered that uh, 
initially, after having done a day and a half or two days of open awareness practice, the, uh, the concentration practice started out so smoothly. It was, it was just easy to be with the breath, with a very relaxed mind, without having that tightness, without having that striving. And so I went through this a bunch of times. And finally, one day I thought, well, it's, it's like the, the open awareness practice is setting the container in which the concentration can just very naturally unfold. Why don't I start every sitting with open awareness practice instead of like waiting until the mind gets all tied up in knots and then letting go of the concentration practice and doing open awareness for two days? Why don't I start each sitting with open awareness practice and see if that supports me moving towards concentration in a different way? And so that's what I began to do. Um, and that, that, was, that was very interesting to basically the, the practice went something like this. I would start with open awareness as I had discovered through practicing with Tejaniya for that time that the mind could get very balanced. It could find wise attitude with this open, relaxed practice. And so the mind would be just um, able to observe as, as Sayadaw says, when there's wise attitude, any object is fine. And so I would find myself or, or set the stage by getting the mind to wise attitude. And then I would explore what does it mean to pick up a particular object? What does it mean to direct the attention and have that wise attitude? So what is that? Is that possible? And so I began exploring that. I just let myself get to the place. And the way this worked for me was I would just let myself get to the place where it's just like experience is just easefully flowing in my, in my experience without reactivity, which at that point was not very difficult. And, um, and then I would just incline the mind. I'd say, well, actually, often what would happen is there would be a breath as, as one of those many experiences flowing through the present moment, there would be a breath and it'd be like, oh, that's, it's possible to pay attention to the breath this way. There was one right there, there was one. And so that began to give me the clue. It is possible to pay attention to the breath with this really relaxed experience, this relaxed mind. And, um, and then it was like, I would, it would be like, there would be one breath and I would just like gently incline the mind. How about a second one? How about a third one? And the mind would be able to do that for a short time. As soon as I felt any shift of any kind of contraction around the attitude, I would back off. And basically, rather than having the priority be staying with the breath, I had the priority be the relaxed attention. And this is, I think, the key around um, pretty much any form of meditation practice. It needs a relaxed attention. With a relaxed attention that is non-reactive to what is happening in the present moment, any object is, is fine. We can pick an object and, it, and our, our meditation will understand something about that object. We can settle back and be in open awareness and our minds will understand 
about the changing nature of those objects. And so the, um, the key pretty much to meditation is this relaxed attention. And what I found for myself was that I let that be the primary, the primary thing I was interested in, was that container. And for me, the open awareness was the way into that container. And so I would focus on the breath, notice when it kind of got a little tight or tense, back off and, and just like go back to open awareness. And so this would happen a number of times in a sitting. And then at some point, the mind could just stay with the breath with that very relaxed attention. And the concentration would begin to um, unfold through this through this way. So um, I think that this the strength of this style of practice, or one of the strengths, there's several, but one of the strengths of this style of practice is that it really highlights this um, attitude of how we're observing. We're learning how to observe skillfully. We're learning how to observe with relaxation and balance without so much uh, tension or um, uh, aversion. We're, we're learning that. For some people, um, you know, th- again, I think I've said minds are so different in terms of what would support, what works for you to find a way to that balanced, relaxed attention. For some people, it may be that um, actually being with one object, it just feels so much more relaxing. It's like, oh, thank goodness I don't have to pay attention to the whole chaos of the world. It's just much simpler. All I have to do is be with the breath and whew, the mind settles down and relaxes. If that's the case, then it may be, it, it may be that that's your doorway in. And at some point, um, it may be helpful to, to so the, the um, I, I think of these different aspects of meditation, kind of the range of practices from the focus, the one-pointed, the concentration, uh, the object-based, knowing really detailed clarity of objects through to this more settled back into awareness. All of the, t- the, the techniques, all the different forms of meditation in my sense, in my, the way I, I think about it is kind of like they're different skills of how we can pay attention. And in my own practice, I found usefulness of learning about all of them. Usefulness in exploring how can the mind be balanced and um, aware with all of these different techniques. because they each offer a, a skill that supports the conditions for the mind to be able to s- clearly see into the nature of suffering. A 
And so I'm I'm of the um, uh, I I I like to think that all of these tools are helpful, and I've certainly found helpfulness of all of them. That that um, you know, no one is particularly better than another. It's more that what one, what tool what tool works for your mind at a particular time? And the caveat for that, or that the important piece around that is, can that tool be used with this wise attitude? With this mind of non-reactivity? And so I th- sometimes think about or talk about the, the creation of the container of meditation, the creation of a container in which the meditation can unfold skillfully. And that includes this balance of mind. If for you it, it is the uh, being with one object that supports the creation of that container, create, supports the creation of the the, the wise attitude, then for you perhaps the, the work may be start there and then learn how to let go of that and slowly begin to open up to other experiences. Learn how to see the other aspects of the mind. Without freaking out, perhaps. I, 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 I've seen that um, sometimes people who are really uh, easeful with one-pointed awareness can get a little disoriented when they let go of that. And so the practice there would be how, it, how might it be possible to let go of that one-pointed awareness and still have the ease that I have in that place? How might it be possible to let go of that and still have a sense of ease in the changing variety of experience? For me it was the opposite. I can find the ease in the changing flow of experience and as soon as I try to do something, whew, the mind would get all contracted. So the question was how can, how can the mind carry that ease into the, uh, the one-pointed awareness? Not making the assumption at all that this mind cannot do that. But how can the mind do that? So this is kind of an encouragement in some ways to explore whatever you've learned in this retreat, whatever you found useful in this retreat. If you have other practices, other um, techniques that you use, exploring how they might integrate, how they might support each other. Not as a way to like um, uh, avoid something, you know, again, really being careful to notice in your own mind, you know, when there is a sense of, like if you're, if you're in open awareness and it's a sense of, I really w- would rather f- have this stillness of the concentration. This is like too chaotic for me. I don't like this. If the not liking is the motivation, then you might back off for a bit, not go there right away. And likewise, if the, if the 
agenda behind the one-pointed practice is I'm going to settle my mind down so that, so that I get through that difficult place so that I can be relaxed and at ease. It might be more, it's the taking the time. I really, the, the piece, I guess the piece I really want to say here, I'm coming to this as I'm speaking, because I didn't plan this talk. <laughs> the piece I want to say is to take your time finding your way to what it is that allows your mind to settle with balance and ease. And then begin to find the ways to expand What, what, uh, to expand what you are able to know from there. So for me, the expanding of what I could be, was able to know was the possibility of knowing that uh, this mind could, with very great ease, land on the breath without any tightness or tension. So that's, that's a little bit about that. Um, let me think if there's any more to say there. I guess I, somebody actually left me a question about this and the, the word just came into, up in my mind. A little bit about trust and trusting your intuition about what is skillful for you in a moment. Um, what is, the, what is a, the direction? For me, for instance, in doing the concentration practice, my intuition was I did need to let go of it, but I had this agenda. I'm doing this practice with this teacher. Um, at one point, he opened the door a crack. He said, "He said, maybe when your mind gets in this kind of state, there's some other theme that you're, you'd, you'd like to contemplate. And I, 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 I said, you mean like metta? He said, yeah, like metta. And I went off and I thought about that and I thought, oh, that's exhausting to think about metta doing that. And as I just contemplated that, that idea, I thought, awareness. Awareness is the theme I'd like to contemplate. <laughs> That's it. And so uh, I, started do I started doing that and just found so much more ease in this practice. And I went back to him. I said, I found my theme. I'm contemplating awareness. And... Uh, and and he, he asked me a little bit about what I was doing, and I described it. He said, oh, yeah, you can do that. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, permission, you know, <laughs> permission to do what felt most intuitive. So, um, you know, you can trust your intuition, and it's also helpful at times to check it against a teacher, with the teacher. So, I, you know, I did describe to him. You know, he, he actually said you sometimes need to be careful with awareness practice because it can be very focused and that may be exactly what you don't need. And I said, well, let me describe to you how I'm doing it. He said, oh yeah, do that. <laughs> so, you know, in, in it was helpful to have that conversation because it was helpful to recognize, okay, this intuition was, was a skillful intuition. It could have been motivated by delusion. It could have been motivated by not liking the experience 
or by aversion. You could have been motivated by thinking, oh yes, let me just be kind to myself. This is too hard. I'm going to just do this for a while. And, and kind of being, you know, uh, not so much out of wisdom, but just, you know, the sense of um, just not wanting to work so hard or something. So, um, you know, intuition, the, the, the question somebody asked was like, how can intuition be motivated by delusion? And, um, you know, this is... Um, When, when we have the sense of something coming from the undercurrents of our being, those undercurrents are sometimes motivated by greed and aversion and, um, and delusion. So something can rise up and, um, you know, so it's kind of rising up from the subconscious. Intuition often has a feeling of coming from someplace that we're not in touch with. And so sometimes it's helpful to, you know, touch in, you know, what that intuition is coming and what, what does it feel like it's related to? What purpose is it serving? Uh, does it feel like it's serving wisdom or does it feel like it's serving greed? So just checking into that, um, that question. So that's probably enough about that. Let's see. My intuition right now, I don't know if this is completely out of wisdom, but my intuition right now is to just check in and see if there's questions you'd like to ask about that part. I meant um, receptive awareness, non-directed attention. Um, it can it can be either awareness-based or object-based, depending on yeah, depending on where the mind is noticing. But it's not it's it's so it's settled back. Um, it's receive it's it's the relax receive. Whether, the, whether it's receiving objects or in awareness, knowing the awareness, they're both there for me. So I mean both, but not the choosing, not directing the attention. And that was so much where I was getting caught in the concentration was in the directing of attention. So it was just relaxing that piece of the mind. Yeah. Other questions about this? That's that's the the where the Mahasi practice moves to, in my experience with studying with Upandita. I had they basically said stay with the breath, stay with the breath until you can be fully aware of every single breath through an entire hour period, then you can open up. 
then you can expand to notice all experience. So the, the, the practice to start was starting with the focus, kind of, and this is, I think, a lot of where some of the, some of the ideas have come from of you need to be focused and concentrated before opening up was from that style that um, it's kind of, I think of the Mahasi practice as kind of midway between concentration practice and full open awareness practice. In the Mahasi practice, you start with, uh, or at least with the Upandita style of the Mahasi practice, which is what I learned. Um, You start with the breath, you get very, very, you're, you're watching the changing nature of the breath, but you're staying with one object and it's object, it's object, it's directed attention to start. And once the mind is very, very concentrated there, the instruction is basically let go of the breath and just notice what arises. Just flip the switch and do that. Um, so it's, uh, it goes to open awareness, but it, it goes to open awareness only after the mind is very concentrated. At least that was my training. The Mahasi practice? Because if when when I had the experience of something else was arising and it was very strong and I followed it uh, and and I reported that I was told to come back to the breath. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's until until it gets until the mind is concentrated basically. So the beginning part of the Mahasi practice, they really want you to do the concentration and ignore everything else and come back to the breath. Um, at a certain point, um, they basically say, note everything that arises. And, you know, you just let go of the breath. So is that practice by Upandita taught differently here than in Burma? Because I never heard, I did eight or ten retreats with them, and I never heard Well, this this is this is this was the I I'm, it may be that different Burmese teachers teach it slightly differently, but in any case, um, what's the question? The question is: Is it taught differently in Burma than, than it's been taught here by Burmese teachers, or I've never practiced with Upandita here, only in Burma, so I don't know. I wouldn't think Upandita would teach differently here than in Burma. <laughs> yeah, and and um, yeah, I mean that. I think the uh, the, um, the piece that I would I would like to express is that I don't feel that what they are trying to do is to make a tight mind. <laughs> I think that just somehow the way I heard the instructions and the kind of the way I picked it up created that tightness. Um, I think there are probably others who could, 
And and also the interesting thing too, I think about these instructions. Um, from what I understand, what I've been told about the kind of the culture in general and the culture in Burma, people are pretty laid back and pretty relaxed. And um, you know, you you you. Uh, that's that's kind of more the the mode and in terms of work people are pretty laid back and pretty relaxed and um and so the the meditation teachers the instructions kind of emphasize the effort that's needed and when we as westerners who don't have this laid back culture hear that it like hooks right into our habits of over efforting over striving and so i think that some of some of the way the teachings were created um you know, are culturally based. I think it's interesting that, that Sayadaw Uteshaniya came up with this. Well, Shwayumin Sayadaw, you know, he really, his teacher, emphasizes the relaxed, relaxed awareness. Oh, one other piece that's interesting. There's this teacher in Burma, Pawak Sayadaw. Some of you may have heard of Pawak Sayadaw. He teaches the most intense kind of concentration practice that we are know of, the, the most... Um, strong states of absorption that uh, that we know of. And his monastery is a couple hours away from Sairo monastery. And there's a steady flow of monks between the two centers. Monks go to the Pauox monastery to, to practice concentration. When they get a little too tight, they come to Sayadaw and practice open awareness and relaxation for six months, and they go back to, to Pauox Sayadaw. Both of the teachers are fine with this. You know, they're, both, they're both fine with this. It's like, sure, you think that will be helpful? Go right ahead. <laughs> so I, to me, that kind of speaks to this uh, benefit of combining these two, you know, to combining the, the, the open awareness practice and just reminding yourself, right, awareness can already be here. I don't have to work so hard. With the intention to direct the mind towards cultivating clarity, cultivating seeing, cultivating understanding through um, um, just that real, like the knife edge <laughs> of concentration. Other questions? I'm going to check in over with Jessica because you'd asked the question yesterday. Did, did I address the piece, pieces that you were interested in or is there another piece that... Okay, so the part two. <laughs> Taking the practice home. The instructions don't change. So, uh, I liked that that phrase, practice awareness while living, came to me this morning. You know, Sayadaw says, I don't practice walking meditation, I practice awareness while walking. Well, let's just do it all the time, <laughs> practicing awareness while living. And yet, um, 
what I find in daily life practice um, is that, I think I said this yesterday, that if we have the sense of doing, if we're picking up mindfulness and the practice as something we have to do all day long, it can end up feeling like a heavy burden. Like, I don't have time to practice mindfulness. I have to, you know, write these three papers and like get my kids to school and, you know, whatever else we have to do in our lives. Um, I don't have time for this. And so the piece around daily life practice that I really emphasize is the light touch to the effort. I emphasize that here And yet pretty much all we're doing here is the mindfulness. And so that light touch all day, really, you know, kind of that that little gentle tapping of the ground to, you know, keep going, keep going, keep going. So there's not much else we have to have our mind doing, so we can kind of keep keep that going. But in daily life, we do have to have our minds in other places, doing other things, and... um. If we pick up the, at least in my experience and in talking to a lot of people, if if we pick up the mindfulness as something we have to do, we'll just give it up. It's like it it uh, our it's like we we'll just figure it's not possible. It's too hard. So one of the tools that. is pretty helpful is looking at this moment when awareness returns. We talked about that a lot early on in the retreat. Just notice when mindfulness comes back, celebrate that. Get familiar with that moment. Getting familiar with that moment of awareness returning, it begins to help us get familiar with what it means to be mindful in a, in, in a given moment. So we get familiar with that. And so if we can Play with that instruction. Is it, again, it doesn't take much effort, right? That one, mindfulness returns and we notice it. That's a moment of effortless practice. There's a little bit of energy directed to right, connecting. It's like, oh, there's mindfulness. But it's, it's not a lot there. It's just more like, ah, oh, mindfulness has come up. It's like, ah, that's mindfulness. I'm mindful right now. Take that in. Notice what, what's obvious. Just notice what's obvious in that moment. And then just carry on with your day. Rather than feeling like, oh, I'm mindful, how do I keep doing this? Let that moment of mindfulness kind of, and it may, it may sustain for a little while. You know, it may sustain for a little while. But um, you know, not to necessarily try to keep it going. Um, just... Watch it arise and be there as long it is, as it is and just get, mo- get on with your day. But commit yourself. It's like make the commitment to recognizing those moments of mindfulness returning as much as you can. And um, it's got, you could even just do that with an intention at the beginning of the day. I'm just going to try to remember to notice those moments of mindfulness returning. Just kind of highlight them. What we start to recognize when we highlight that moment is that it happens all the time. Even in daily life, it happens way more 
way more than you think. And so that moment of remembering, that moment when mindfulness returns, if we can celebrate it again, if we can celebrate it and acknowledge it and recognize, ah, this is mindfulness. This is mindfulness while walking across the street. This is mindfulness while chopping vegetables. This is mindfulness while talking to my to my supervisor. This is mindfulness while driving down the freeway. Oh, this is mindfulness while doing whatever we're doing. We begin to recognize that mindfulness can be present, can be there in any activity, in any part of our day. And, and we begin to learn. We begin to learn, oh, mindfulness can be there. And it's actually there more than we think. So that moment of recognizing that we've remembered mindfulness begins to, it's like, sensitize the mind to notice more of those. So we may start with noticing, I don't know, four or five a day. And then over time, it's just just like popping back, popping back, popping back, popping back, popping back, popping back. So that it begins to feel like that you're not so far from mindfulness much of the day. Mind goes into whatever it's doing, it goes into writing an email, and then it pops up again, the mindfulness pops up, oh, here I am, contracted around writing the email, oh, okay, what's, what's happening? So that's one tool that I find incredibly helpful, just to set the base level of um, the intention to practicing, the intention to connecting with mindfulness throughout the day but not having it be the striving, effortful thing. It's the intention to notice those moments re-arising is the intention for practicing through the day. Then I think it's also helpful, as kind of came up yesterday, um, pick a few things during the day where there is enough space to cultivate some continuity. Chores are good for this. You know, washing your dishes or, or um, taking a walk, um, making your bed, brushing your teeth. You know, pick, pick a couple of activities. Pick one or two activities, perhaps, that you say, for this week, this is the activity. I'm going to see if I can, you know, for this activity, sustain the mindfulness. So picking a few times of the day to work with that, cultivating the continuity purposefully. It came up around, um, you know, making a meal. That, that's a good one too, that more extended period of time. If you have enough space in your life to say, yeah, I'm going to pick dinner every night when I make dinner, that, that 45 minutes of making dinner and serving the meal, I'm going to see, you know, just if I can cultivate that continuity of mindfulness. It will come and go. But it's just like a meditation, it comes and goes. You sit down for 45 minutes in the sitting, in the, the hall, your mind doesn't stay present the entire time. Why would you expect it to while you're making a meal? So just notice it comes and goes. And, and kind of see if you can keep prompting. Oh right, aware? What's happening? What is it? What's obvious? What's obvious while making the meal? Walking, I find to be also an impo- a, a really helpful place to cultivate um, awareness in, in daily life. Um, so you might pick some particular walking activity where you don't have a lot to do. Um, 
you know, just taking a walk through the neighborhood or maybe the stretches where you're walking between your house and your car or your car and the store. Seeing if you can, um, just for that period of time, remember to practice awareness while walking. And um, what I've seen is with that kind of exploration, it gets, it gets more ingrained again. It's like when we practice something regularly, we practice, um, you know, walking practice in the moving between our home and our car, the mind begins to get familiar with and comfortable with being mindful while walking and it starts to do it in the few short steps between your desk and the bathroom. There you are, mindful of walking. So again, just finding ways, and I, 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 I encourage creativity in uh, daily life practice. Finding tools that will support you, finding something you're interested in exploring, um, n- not making too big of a, at least not, not like, I mean, we, we could say, I'm going to be aware all day long. And if you can be okay with not being aware all day long and just noticing how much the mind is gone, that's great. <laughs> um, and yet sometimes our mind seems to like a little bit more where it can feel like, ah, yes, I'm able to do that. I'm able to, to pick up that piece and be able to see that the mind can play with that and do that. So like creating smaller chunks of the day where we um, um, choose to practice mindfulness. Sometimes in those smaller chunks of the day, you can find ways to help yourself. Again, you know, be creative. Um, at one period, um, I had these little signs around my house that were qualities that I was interested in cultivating. Um, they were the ten paramis. I mentioned them the other night. And so these ten beautiful qualities that are cultivated as we practice. And I, I put generosity on the door as I was leaving the house. I put wisdom on the refrigerator. I put equanimity on the computer. I put truthfulness on the telephone. You know, just, just little places to remind myself, when you're doing this, see if you can like, at least keep that quality in mind. Um, so you can put reminders around your house. If you're, if you're gonna practice being uh, aware at the sink washing dishes, create a big sign <laughs> that reminds you to be mindful and then change the color of the sign regularly because <laughs> we can quickly get catooned, you know, just not see the signs when they've been there without change. Um, then um, curiosity I find to be also a really good tool in daily life. Is there something you're really interested in understanding about your mind? Some place you habitually get caught, habitually suffer? For me, that first, my very first meditation practice, and actually when I look back at what I did in my first three months of practice, I was doing this practice that Sayadaw teaches 
it was kind of interesting to me to, to realize like years later, you know, what I had stumbled into kind of on my own when I was in the Peace Corps and not having a teacher, what I stumbled into was very much what Sayadaw taught. And so my very first practice was, wow, anger is what is getting me into big trouble. I'm going to see if I can be aware when I'm angry. And I just had that curiosity, what's happening? What's happening there? And began to explore it. And within a very short time, there was a lot of learning that happened. Just in daily life, my very first meditation practice was daily life practice. It was three months before I sat down in meditation. And that was only because I began to see benefits from practicing mindfulness in daily life. And I thought, maybe they call it practice for a reason. <laughs> maybe it would help. <laughs> so, so I started with daily life practice and learned a lot about my mind around that particular pattern, that particular stickiness. And so if there's something you're interested in, some pattern of mind that you habitually get caught in, impatience or judgment or... Uh, I, I wouldn't start with the hardest one, although I did. I, I started with what was like, I mean, it was like running my life. I didn't have much choice as to whether. Uh, it was like, it was pay attention to it or go crazy. <laughs> Something, you know, just so... So I, I, I did start with the hardest one. So, you know, if you've got something that's really sticky and you're really interested in exploring, go for it. Commit yourself to, I'm going to just wake up whenever that's happening. I'm, I'm committed to practicing, noticing what's happening in the present moment when that mind state happens. And you'll forget. You'll get caught in it. Again, it's like, this is the mind. The habit is so strong. But at some point, you'll recognize it. And at that moment, ah, what's obvious? What's obvious here? And, and again, you know, in my first practice of this, um, that first three months where I was just practicing with anger, I didn't like stay with it for very long. It was more like, I'm sitting frozen at my computer, enraged, wake up. Oh, I'm angry. Right, I said I was going to, what? Wow, this is unpleasant. Oh, that's, this hurts. What do I do? Uh, what do I do now? I don't know what I do. I guess I go back to work. <laughs> and I just kind of set it aside and I probably touched into it for maybe five seconds. And then, you know, just basically it was like, whoo, that hurts. Okay, I guess I just go back to work. But what, you know, in retrospect, what I see happened there was I was frozen. I was not even able to be doing anything but being caught in the world of the anger. The mindfulness returned. It noticed the anger and it gave the mind enough space to be able to say, oh, I guess I can go back to work. Let me put my attention on work right now. That gave me a lot of space and just, you know, just, just for a few moments, noticing the pattern. It's not like you have to say, oh, I'm waking up into my pattern of frustration while I'm having this conversation. Stop. We have to stop having the conversation. Let me go sit down and pay attention. What's going on? Just what can you meet? What can you know right in that moment? What can you know? And do the best you can. And go on with your day. Just go on with your day. 
So if there's something of, of interest, something that really sparks your interest, let that interest motivate the practice of mindfulness. In the midst of life, you know, noticing when these patterns come up, like when we're talking on the phone and when we're working on the computer or taking a walk down the street. Oh, there it is again. Oh, there it is. Okay. What's it like now? What's that like? Using, using the tools in daily life that we've learned here, the tools that we've learned here of just aware what's obvious, this practice, am I aware and what's obvious? This is very portable into moments of in the midst of conversation, <coughs> in the midst of driving, in the midst of being in the grocery store for just a few moments. Oh, I'm aware of impatience. What's here? Okay. And then, oh, I've got to, you know, pick out this milk and this, these eggs. And, and we just go on with our day. But just noticing what's obvious, what's obvious, what's obvious. The tools of this practice are so supportive for, for daily life. I think intention and resolve to keep practicing. Every time you remember you've forgotten, every time you notice, wow, haven't been mindful for the last three hours, for the last three days. Oh, right. Here's mindfulness right now. Okay, you know, that thought has come up. Oh, I haven't been mindful for three days. That's mindfulness right there. So whew, take it in. Notice the awareness has returned. And then I, I, it's helpful to recommit in that moment rather than having the idea of, oh, this is too hard. Obviously, I can't do this. It hasn't worked for three days, so forget it. Just in that moment, I'm just going to keep trying with as much kind of friendly compassion for our minds as possible. I'm just going to keep trying. I'm just going to keep trying. Every time you remember, recommitting to that intention and maybe creating a practice of uh, in the morning waking up and reminding, today's a day where I can have the opportunity to practice awareness while living. May that be fruitful. We're just kind of setting that at the beginning of the day intention in daily life, recommitting, re and resolve. That resolve is the recommitment. The intention is just that orientation. This is important. This is, this is my direction. Connecting with our intention in daily life over and over again has a lot of power. Just to remind ourselves, this is important. This is valuable. I know the value of this. And I'm just going to keep trying. Patience in there also. Because it is really hard. The retreat you're starting tomorrow, it is really hard. <laughs> so be compassionate with yourselves about it. Okay, questions about that? Um, about the transition itself, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that 
I can kind of digest things as they happen or slightly afterwards. If there's a conversation, I can spend 15 minutes with it later and finish with it in some sense. And so as I move into a time when that won't be possible or things will just keep coming and they might stick, but I won't be able to finish it, I know that that can produce kind of a sense of this buildup of, oh, there's all this stuff. And, and then eventually it just kind of goes into storage. But so, so I guess how to handle the fact that going forward, I won't have that ability. I'll have to let go in some way of that ability or that opportunity. Yeah, because you don't have the time yeah. to do that kind of processing real time. Right. Um, some of it is just letting go. And again, just a lot of compassion for how hard it is. And, um, and if you can take opportunities that where you do have time, um, if, if I've had something that's really sticky and it's not, I've not been able to really process it real time or not been able to be terribly mindful real time and uh, found some reactivity that happened there, sometimes I find taking time uh, at the end of the day where I know I've got 15, 20 minutes here, sit down, let the mind settle just a little bit, and then bring up that situation in the mind. Uh, not to think about it, but just, it's almost like just even bringing up a little bit of the context, like who was I with, what was I saying, you know, what, it, what was happening, um, what were my gestures, what was I seeing, you know, just kind of create a little scenario in the mind about it. This is using reflection practice. This is kind of a blend of being mindful and bringing up a theme. And so you're bringing up a theme of something that was challenging during the day by kind of recreating the scenario in your mind. After you've recreated the scenario, let go of thinking about it and just feel into what has been created there. Because if there was some charge there, likely it will be recreated in the moment in thinking about it. And so that gives you a little bit of an opportunity to feel through some of what's happened. Um, um, a let, let go of some things, perhaps recognize, oh, this piece was unskillful. Maybe I should apologize about that or you know, something along those lines. And so when things, we don't even have time for that every day, but if something, f for myself, if something really sticky happens, I will, I will make the time to do something like that. The rest of the time, I pretty much just do the best I can. And here's another good, a good advice. Get really good at cleaning up the mess. Um, be ready to apologize, <laughs> recognizing, yep, that was not so skillful, and um, uh, you know that 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 action. Uh, you know, we we recognize sometimes our actions created harm, or we were reactive in a such a conversation, and and so um, what we do essentially in daily life is we are receiving the consequences of our choices, our actions, when they're not, well, we're receiving the consequences of our choices, our actions all the time. Uh, when they're not skillful, we receive often some feedback and some suffering around that. And so we, we learn in the moment to, to, to meet that. You know, it's like, 
Okay, there's uh, there's somebody who's angry at me right now because of something I said this afternoon. Okay, can I can I work? You know, can I be with that right now? So, any other questions or? Um, uh, that, that was, um, in a situation, I think, where it's, in that situation, it sounded like wisdom was fairly present. Sometimes wisdom is not very present (laughs) as we're going through our day. Um, but we do the best we can. And sometimes we learn in retrospect. You know, we learn, uh... You know, we're doing the best we can, and then we recognize, oh, yeah, when I said that, there was a little bit of a uh, a tightness, you know, and and I can see why somebody might have gotten a little jar from that, um, but not not necessarily seeing it in the moment. So, um, um, I guess I'm saying that the wisdom will bring it back. The wisdom, yeah, the wisdom, the wisdom can bring it back to you if you're open to. Uh, being available for that. Yeah. Yeah. Other questions? Yeah. It's not a question, but working with you for several years in this daily life practice, as a testimonial, I can just say the positive hit, I think, is much bigger on the outside than on retreat. You mean get the moment of waking yes, up? Yeah. Just, yeah. And that when you don't make a big mistake, there's so much positive energy for me that comes that I just couldn't stop. <laughs> Thank you for that testimonial. <laughs> Someone other than me saying this is useful. <laughs> and I realize I just looked at the clock. It's time to stop. So um, there'll be an opportunity for more questions tomorrow morning uh, around going home. So if more questions come up, you can you can ask tomorrow morning. So. <laughs>